we call it a war, and for 41 years we have been fighting it, a war on drugs. The estimated cost so far, about $2.5 trillion. The results so far, mixed. So what does it say that voters in Colorado and Washington State recently went to the ballot box and decided to legalize one of the drugs we've been fighting all of these years, weed, pot, marijuana? What is that? Is it treason or is it a facing up to a certain social reality? Is this war worth continuing to fight on? And if so, what direction do we take it in? Those are a lot of questions, but they all boil down to the one that we're going to be debating here tonight, and here it is. Yes or no to this statement, legalize drugs. That is the motion on the table. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S., I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters who will be arguing for and against it, legalize drugs. We go in three rounds, then the audience votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Meeting our debaters on the side arguing for the motion, legalize drugs, Paul Butler, professor of law at Georgetown and former federal prosecutor. His partner, Nick Gillespie, editor-in-chief of Reason.com and Reason TV. The motion, legalize drugs, arguing against Asa Hutchinson, CEO of the Hutchinson Group and former administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And his partner, Theodore Dalrymple, a retired prison doctor, now a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Our motion is legalize drugs. Let's talk with our debaters as they come to the stage. Paul Butler, you are a Georgetown Law professor. You are arguing for the motion, legalize drugs. After Harvard Law, you clerked for a judge. You worked in corporate law. Uh, You then became a federal prosecutor and worked with the Department of Justice. But then something happened that made you give it all up, and it changed the way you thought about the criminal justice system. What was it? So somebody forgot to tell the police about all those credentials, and I got arrested for a crime I didn't commit. It was when I had the most high-profile case as a prosecutor. I was prosecuting a U.S. senator, and again, I got locked up. You can read all about it in the first chapter of my book, Let's Get Free, A Hip-Hop Theory of Justice. <laughs> Commercials allowed. And, you, and your partner is? My partner is Nick Gillespie. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Gillespie. <laughs> Nick, you are editor-in-chief of the libertarian uh, Reason.com and Reason TV. Uh, you, have, you have talked about the fact that you have used both legal and illegal drugs recreationally. Uh, interestingly, you once lived on a street called Stoner Avenue. You did not use illegal drugs while living there, which ruins the story a little bit. But what, what is your take seriously on, the, on recreational drug use? Is there a danger involved in them? I'd say the only danger is uh, that uh, oftentimes you run out. <laughs> Our motion, legalize drugs, and the team arguing against the motion. Uh, first, ladies and gentlemen, Theodore Dalrymple. Theodore Dalrymple is your pen name. We'll say this just once. Your real name is Anthony Daniels, for people who like the specificity. Uh, but you are a writer, uh, a former prison doctor. You, um, in prison, you specialized in cases involving drug offenders, and you came away from that experiencing 
experience thinking that we have the relationship between crime and drugs wrong. In, in what way, Hiro? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to say that uh, we've got the relationship exactly the wrong way around, uh, but it's always tempting for people to ascribe uh, human uh, misbehavior to an external factor uh, when actually it's internal. So uh, I don't believe in the causative relationship between drugs and crime and bad behavior, actually. And your partner is? Uh, Asa Hutchinson. Ladies and gentlemen, Asa Hutchinson. (laughs) Asa Hutchinson, you are uh, a former administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Um, You you were also um, a long-term member of Congress. You had served two terms. You had just been elected for the third time when President Bush tapped you to uh, go to the uh, DEA. Why did you make the choice to do that? How do you say no to the president when he asks you to do something? (laughs) (laughs) You try to say yes, uh, jokingly, but uh, seriously, what a great agency. And I wanted to bring not just enforcement efforts to the DEA, but also demand reduction efforts and cooperation with the uh, rehabilitation community. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our four debaters. Our motion is legalize drugs, and before the debate begins, and again after the debate, we're going to ask you to vote. That's two votes. And the team that has moved its numbers, changed most of your minds in the course of the debate between those two votes, will be declared our winner. So let's go to the first round of voting now. Our motion is legalize drugs. If coming in off the street you agree with this motion, push number one, if you disagree, Push number two, and if you're undecided, push number three. You can ignore the other keys, and you can correct a miskeying. It'll lock in your last vote. Anyone need more time or want to admit needing more time? It's pretty straightforward. All right, so once again, we're going to hold the results of that vote till the end of the debate, until you've heard all of the arguments, all three rounds, And then the team that has moved its numbers the most after the second vote will be declared our winner. So on to round one, opening statements from each debater in turn. They will be seven minutes each. Our motion is legalize drugs. And here to speak first for the motion, Paul Butler. He is a professor of law at Georgetown, a former federal prosecutor, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on race and criminal justice. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Butler. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Paul Butler, and I represent the people. When I was a prosecutor, that's how I would start my opening statements. Uh, I put a lot of people in prison. I was a soldier in the war on drugs, and tonight I'm going to give you a soldier's perspective on why that war is a colossal failure. Uh, Later, Nick will talk about how the war on drugs has compromised our democracy and made us all less free. And he'll also talk about what legal regulation of drugs would look like. Well, you'll be able to go into Whole Foods and buy cocaine. Uh, Nick will tell you about the experiences of countries all all over the world that have safely legalized drugs. As a prosecutor, I learned that as many people as I locked up, we weren't making a dent in the drug trade. We were actually making neighborhoods less safe. I was prosecuting a lot of 19- and 20-year-olds for nonviolent drug offenses. Locking up these young people with a bunch of hardcore rapists and murderers 
was like sending them to finishing school for criminals. When these kids came home, they learned how to be really good bad guys. If we legalize drugs, we will stop the counterproductive practice of treating kids the same way that we treat violent criminals, and we would all be safer. Maybe my work as a prosecutor would have been worth the enormous social cost if it was getting drugs off the street. But we all know the war on drugs doesn't do that. No country has ever found a way to prevent people from using drugs. The United States locks up more people than any country in the history of the world. We have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners. It costs us billions of dollars that we just cannot afford. And it's just as easy to get drugs now as it always has been. What about drug addicts? It turns out that the small percentage of people who use drugs, who become addicts, um, we know that treatment is a more effective solution than punishment for those people. Most of us are lucky. We don't have a, a crackhead or a meth addict in our family, but everybody's got an alcoholic in the family. Tobacco might be a close second, but I think we all agree that alcohol is probably the worst drug, right, if you think of it in terms of dysfunctional families, lost economic productivity, health problems, the people who commit crimes under the influence. But is the answer to make using alcohol a crime? Of course not. We tried that during Prohibition, and it just did not work. All we did was create this illegal, violent market for liquor, just like for other drugs now, and we didn't stop anybody who wanted to from drinking, just like we don't stop anybody now from using drugs. So I'm speaking based on my research as a law professor, my work as a prosecutor, and also my life experience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the war on drugs, but I want to respect you enough to keep it real. Like most Americans, I have used illegal drugs. I wasn't introduced to them at my all-black public elementary school in Chicago, and at my Catholic high school, a lot more kids drank than smoked weed. The first time I was around a lot of people who used drugs was actually at Yale, <laughs> where I went to college. And then at Harvard, where I went to law school. I'm glad I never got caught when I smoked pot. And I'm also glad that Barack Obama was not arrested and prosecuted for any of the times that he used cocaine and marijuana. My opponents are honorable men, and it makes me wonder if they really practice what they preach. As you listen to the good Dr. Theodore, here's one thing you should keep in mind. He's actually prescribed heroin to addicts. He did it because he knows that addicts need to be treated, not punished. As a practicing physician, he understood that drug dependency is a medical issue, not a crime. And I read a profile of Mr. Hutchinson, and he's a wonderful family man. I had the pleasure of meeting his wife, Susan. And I wonder what a father, a great father like Mr. Hutchinson would say, one of his children called and said she was using cocaine, would he really say, wait a minute, honey, and whisper to his wife, quick, dial 911. Tell the police they need to arrest our daughter. She needs to be prosecuted and locked up. Of course not. None of us would do that to our family or friends. So my final point, ladies and gentlemen, is respectfully, what is good enough for our children and our friends is good enough for African Americans. We call it a war on drugs, but it's mainly a war on black people. They are the people who get stopped and frisked. Last year in New York City, 50,000 people got arrested for marijuana possession. 50,000. 
almost 90% were black or Latino. That's not who really uses drugs. The National Institute of Health tells us that black people don't use drugs more than any other group. They're about 12% of drug users. What about sellers? Most drug, se- most drug buyers report buying from someone of their own race. Uh, white kids in Scarsdale, they don't have to go to the hood to buy. They get their weed and ecstasy and Adderall from other white kids in Scarsdale. But who gets locked up for drug crimes? Almost two-thirds are black. 12% of people who do the crime, 60% of people who do the time. And that's selective prosecution, and it's devastated the African-American community. We have one black president and one million black people in prison. The book The New Jim Crow tells us that because of the war on drugs, there are more African-Americans under criminal justice supervision now than there were slaves in 1850. Think about the catastrophic effect that has on families. In the black community, we have a lot of women and children who are doing time on the outside. So, again, the most responsible way to deal with the problem of illegal drug use is to not punish people for using drugs. Uh, the reality is, for my opponents, this will never, this is just a nice rhetorical debate. The odds are that their children will use drugs and they will never be touched by the criminal justice system. The odds for African American children are very different, and that just seems profoundly unfair. My friends, as a civilized society, we shouldn't punish people for being sick. We shouldn't put anybody in a cage based on what they put in their mouths. There's a better way. It's to legalize drugs. Thank you. Paul Butler. Our motion is legalize drugs. And now here to speak against the motion, Asa Hutchinson. He is the CEO of the Hutchinson Group and a former congressman. He has served as administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration and as the first undersecretary for the Department of Homeland Security. Ladies and gentlemen, Asa Hutchinson. Thank you. What an exciting evening to debate an important subject for our country and for our future. Paul, great job in your opening remarks. An African-American who also happens to be in a leadership position in the United States attended the Summit of the Americas in Columbia, South America. He said it is okay for us to debate the pros and cons of the war on drugs, but, quote, I personally... And my administration position is that legalization is not the answer, end quote. That was President Barack Obama. I happen to agree with President Barack Obama. I agree that there are changes that need to be made as we look at how we enforce our laws. I agree that we need to have a robust debate about incarceration policies and what we are doing in our fight against illegal drugs and how much we're devoting to rehabilitation. All of those issues are appropriate to be on the table. But So there needs to be changes. Paul mentioned that we need to reduce racial disparities enforcement. That's why I have worked very hard to reduce the cocaine, the crack and powder cocaine disparity that impacts racially 
uh, across uh, America. We've reduced that disparity. We've made a correction in the system. We need to reduce our incarceration rates. That's why I've been engaged in the Right on Crime initiative and initiatives that encourage our state legislatures to look at incarceration policies. And in Texas and in Arkansas and in South Carolina, they have reduced the incarceration rates for uh, drug offenders, both to save money but also to reexamine our policies. I believe we need to improve alternatives to incarceration. That's why I've been a supporter of drug treatment courts that provides accountability uh, with treatment so that it can be an effective treatment and it has a, a great success story across, across America. So why, why did the president take the position that legalization is not the answer? Perhaps he understood the success that we have achieved. Whenever we look at the fact that drug use has been cut in half over the last 30 years in our country, did he want to preside, and I know people, I see some skeptical looks when I say that, that is in your program, that is part of the debate topic and the acknowledgement that over the last 30 years, drug use has been cut in half in our country, and we have a president that says we, he does not want to see it go up on his watch. Could it be that he does not uh, believe that the United States ought to break its treaty obligations in which we've entered into and been a leader across the globe? And that is a reason enough to vote against the proposition. Or perhaps he was thinking about his own daughters and his grandchildren. And would there be greater potential for them to be engaged in drug use and he might believe is harmful in whenever we continue to have it illegal in our country? And so the president made that decision, both personally, he said, and with his administration. Let's look at the argument that's been presented. And first, I would say I've been introduced as a former administrator of the DEA. That is absolutely true. I'm also a frontline prosecutor, a former prosecutor in Arkansas that's prosecuted cocaine cases and marijuana cases and on down the line, primarily of traffickers. And my experience is in just the opposite of Paul. In fact, whenever I went into a store recently uh, to sign up for some exercise, the owner came up and said, you put me in prison. I thought I was going to be thrown out of the place. But he looked at me and he said, I want to thank you for helping to turn my life around because I was going down the wrong path of addiction. I was going down the wrong path of, of violation of the law. And it turned me around. And today he owns his own business. And so I've had a totally different experience as a former federal prosecutor. They say the current model of prohibition is not working. Well, while that might appeal to the popular culture, it does not pass muster and close examination. In fact, drug usage is down over the last 30 years. Whenever you look at our war on poverty that President Lyndon Johnson proclaimed, what, 30, 35 years ago? Whenever he proclaimed that, have we eliminated poverty today? Does that mean because we have not eliminated poverty that we should stop fighting hunger? Of course not. Well, we to call it a war on drugs, which is not by preferred terminology. I believe it is an effort to save lives. It is our youth. It is our families. It is our communities at stake. How do you decrease harmful drugs in our community? Is it by legalization or is it by our present method of saying, let's improve the system? 
Let's make it better. But let's don't throw it out and say we're going to just turn off the spigot and make everything legal. Secondly, they talk about harm. If you believe that addictive and mind-altering drugs such as heroin, methamphetamine, and cocaine are harmful, if you believe that they are harmful, then ask this question. If you legalize, will it increase or decrease the use and the availability of harmful drugs? Now, if you believe that they're not harmful, I'm not sure I can win your debate. But if you believe they're harmful, ask the fundamental question. Will it increase or decrease usage? Now, Paul made the point that you look at, you know, more alcoholics today than you do uh, people who are drug addicts. But did ending prohibition on alcohol increase or decrease alcohol consumption in the United States of America? And if you increase uh, drug usage, will it increase drug addiction, harmful reaction to it? They cannot show, and I believe the burden is on them, they cannot show that logically and over history that if you decriminalize, if you legalize harmful drugs, that usage is going to go down. That has not been the experience in the Netherlands. It's not been the experience in the United Kingdom. It's not been the experience in Alaska. It has not been the experience in Canada. Usage has gone up. And so, finally, in my opening, they asked me, or Paul mentioned my family. Well, if my children came to me and they was a drug, there was a drug issue, my first concern is, where are they getting those drugs? What is the availability? How can we shut that down? And as a parent, it would scare me to death to think that there is going to be easy availability, increased availability, and that you can find heroin and methamphetamine just as acceptable in our society as alcohol. That creates a problem Ace as a parent Hutchinson, in my mind. Thank you very much. Um, I, I have to acknowledge I let you go over about 30 seconds because you were um, talking about your family and it just seemed that it would be so rude to st- step in and not let you finish. Nick, if you need an extra 30, you've got it. Ladies well, I'm going to try and channel methamphetamine that Asa was talking about, so I'll, hopefully I w- I'll need only about three minutes. All right. Well, <laughs> but, you know, I, now, first, before you start, because I want to introduce you and I also want to tell our radio audience, a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting fighting it out over this motion, legalize drugs. You have heard two of the opening statements and now on to the third, debating in support of the motion, legalize drugs, the editor-in-chief of Reason.com and Reason TV. He's the author of the Declaration of Independence, T.S., and described as one of the foremost libertarians in America. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Gillespie. Thank you. I do want to point out, in all fairness, that being among the foremost libertarians in America means that myself and my co-author, you know, that's basically it. So, uh, you know, you've heard uh, from a self-described soldier in the drug war. You've heard from a general, a commander, former Drug Enforcement Administration uh, personnel in the drug war. You'll hear from a medic in the drug war. I present myself simply as a conscientious objector in the war on drugs. Let me explain a bit of why I think we should legalize drugs. Uh, and, and the first, I want, I want to make two large points. 
First is, let's look at this war on drugs, which is supposedly, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We're finally, we're going to bring the troops home by Christmas. This is what Asa Hutchinson was saying, essentially, when he said, look, you know, it's been working pretty well these past 30 years. Drug use is down. If we get rid of the war on drugs, drug use will go up. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to uh, address some of the things that Paul previewed for you. And first and foremost, I want to make this statement. Uh, And half of you in this audience, if you are representative, are with me in your action in what uh, economists called revealed preference. Uh, You know, using drugs is not immoral. It is not addictive for 99% of people. And there's nothing wrong or uh, there's nothing wrong with it or to be ashamed about with it. Look, any program... Uh, you know, it, it, it's not a war on drugs. It is a war on racial, ethnic, and age-based minorities because it's kids who get wrapped up in the war on drugs. It's not old people. Any program that has such disparate impacts as the ones that Paul was talking about should come under scrutiny regardless of its intentions and, and its champions. As a 2005 cost-benefit analysis of the war on drugs by the super-conservative American Enterprise Institute, uh, which looked at the effectiveness. Uh, the conclusion by uh, David Boyum and Peter Rother was American drug policy has little to show by way of success for that $2.5 trillion that John mentioned at the beginning of the program. And they claim it is surely reasonable to ask those who would maintain the status quo for some basis for believing the additional expense and suffering of putting hundreds of thousands of people a year in jail are justified. Another AEI scholar, and AEI, you'll remember it from the Iraq and Afghanistan war, this is a think tank that has never met a war it doesn't like. (laughs) Mark Perry, an economist at AEI, has pointed out that between 1970 and 2010, annual spending on drug control has gone up 10 times uh, adjusted for inflation, while the addiction rate has remained flat. In other words, we have become the world's largest jailer nation without seriously getting better outcomes. The only other place where we stand for that kind of massive increase in spending with flat or declining results is public education, which is no model for any kind of program going forward. Across every conceivable front, the war on drugs is losing the battle for hearts and minds. A recent Rasmussen poll, uh, just uh, uh, you know, which is a right-leaning pollster, of people think we're winning the war on drugs. A century of failure, because it starts with the 1914 Harrison Narcotics Act or Controlled Substances Act, has finally woken Americans up to the simple fact that prohibition exacerbates all of the social problems it is supposed to ameliorate. It doesn't make things better. It makes everything worse. Despite attempts to control, uh, to stem the supply of drugs, the amount and quality of drugs continues to go up while the inflation-adjusted price goes down. As Washington State and Colorado were voting to legalize marijuana, Californians voted to change its mandatory sentencing laws that grew out of concern about drug crime because its prisons are choked by nonviolent drug offenders while they have to let rapists and murderers out. The Rand Corporation and other think tanks have found no consistent correlation between a nation's legal regime towards drugs and use rates. So in some countries you have lax drug laws and high use rates or low use rates. Places like America, we have stern drug laws and high use rates. It's not clear what's going on. We do know in Portugal, which decriminalized all drugs, that use rates and addiction rates went down because people got better information and they were more willing to come forward before they developed problems. So if 
you're concerned about the effects of drug use on society, you should reject the failed policies pursued by often well-meaning but seriously misinformed drug warriors, uh, also known as the loyal opposition here. (laughs) While such basic empirical scrutiny alone should convince all observers to consider an unconditional surrender in what is rightly called America's longest war, I want to make a brief case for what I call pharmacological freedom, or granting adult Americans the broadest possible rights to choose what substances we put into our bodies. And here's where I go into the meth round, because I'm running out of time. This should be recognized. Pharmacological freedom should be recognized as a basic right. Over the past several decades, we have become a drug-taking culture, and we all believe in what DuPont used to advertise as better living through chemistry. We take drugs to change our cholesterol levels, to change our work habits, to change our moods. None of this is going away, nor should it. We do all sorts of things to make ourselves look and feel better. To the extent that we might be able to use drugs that are currently arbitrarily deemed illicit, not just illegal, but illicit by the government, the better. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't have the right literally to change our mind through our personal choices, what rights do we have that are worth a damn? Now, drug legalization is not a scary prospect. It's not the radical change that its champions claim nor its uh, opponents fear. And let me, as, as I'm winding down, how many of you have tried an illegal drug? Raise your hand. Uh, anybody carrying? And if so, okay. I'll uh, talk to you Nick, later. Nick, for our radio audience, how many hands did you see? I think it was about 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, for, for use, not carrying. Okay, because uh, otherwise I think I see Asa hitting 911 on the, <laughs> under the table. Look, according to government statistics, fully 47% of Americans over the age of 12 have done so, a population that includes at least the last three presidents of the United States which, granted, may constitute the strongest argument against using drugs, but drug use is a normal phenomenon. Very few people become addicts. So when we are talking about what drug legalization would look like, first off, it's all marijuana use. Vanishingly small people and percentage of people use drugs other than marijuana. But let me just say, I'll close with, there is not a single dimension across which pot is more dangerous than alcohol, which is pretty much all you need to know about a post-prohibition American society. It would be a lot like today, except that you would have one or two more choices in your medicine cabinet, and about 400,000 fewer people a year would go to jail. Police would be able to focus on actual criminals, and Monday mornings would be a lot easier to face. (laughs) So please, think about legalizing drugs. Thank you. Thank you, Nicolescu. And that's our motion, legalize drugs. And now our final debater speaking against this motion, Theodore Dalrymple. He is a retired doctor who practiced in an inner city hospital and a prison. He is also a prolific uh, writer, and he is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Ladies and gentlemen, Theodore Dalrymple. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's alleged by the proposers of this motion Uh, that the harms that arise from illicit drug-taking, production, and distribution arise because of their illegality and not because of their nature. And that, therefore, if we could only just go down to our local corner store to pick up our crack or our encyclidine or our methamphetamine or our heroin or our LSD, etc., whenever we've run out, the harms uh, would be eliminated and very much reduced. 
And incidentally, uh, Portugal has not uh, legalized drugs, and no country has. Anyway, it is not so that the harms arise from illegality. In this country, about as many people now die annually from opioid poisoning as from homicide. Those fatal opioids are overwhelmingly prescription drugs obtained perfectly legally. It's about 15,000 a year die of these drugs. But the supply and demand of them arose suddenly in a matter of a handful of years, and it was all nice and above board. There are now said to be 2 million uh, addicts to these drugs, and all, as I said, created perfectly legally. And this is all within a decade, more or less a decade. Now, I suppose that our libertarian opponents would say that the problem here is the control exercised over the supply uh, by the mafia, uh, the medical mafia, that is. And if only the drugs were really freely available on a truly open market, if only the medical mafia were sidelined, all would be well. Well, you can't expect me as a doctor, really, to agree with that proposition. This example shows that supply can produce a large and disastrous demand. Another example is the diversion on a massive scale of a drug called buprenorphine, uh, which is used very widely in France in the treatment of heroin addicts. And it's diverted to Georgia, that's the ex-Soviet Union, Republic of Georgia. According to The Lancet, 250,000 people in that country, that is more than one in 20 of the population, are now addicted to the drug diverted from France, which again shows, quite apart from casting doubt on how badly the addicts needed or wanted the drug in the first place, how a perfectly legal drug can create an enormous, sudden and disastrous demand. Our opponents would have to allege that had buprenorphine been legally available to the Georgians, none of this would have happened. In Scotland as a whole, and in Dublin, more people are now dying of a perfectly legal drug, methadone, uh, first developed to help the late Hermann Goering to get through the war without withdrawal symptoms, uh, from heroin than from heroin. And this drug is used in the supposed treatment of heroin addiction. So the legal drug is now killing more than the illegal drug. So it's not true that the harms of drugs arise only from their illegality. We've seen that even if every homicide in this country, every single one, were the result of the illicit trade in drugs, which is an absurd proposition, deaths from legally obtained opioids would equal uh, to deaths from that trade. And that demand was created very, very quickly. It's also alleged by the proposers that criminality is caused, more or less, by the illegality of drugs. And again, this is not so. In the prison in which I worked, I discovered that the heroin addicts who were imprisoned there and had committed, uh, they had committed between 50 and 200 offences before they ever took heroin. Therefore, it would be more true to say that they were addicts because they were criminal than that they were criminal because they were addicts. This has been found elsewhere, and research shows that criminality is a better predictor of addiction than is addiction of criminality. And this can be seen from the uh, career of the writer William S. Burroughs, with which you might be familiar, who, as you know, shot his wife dead. 
Uh, In my opinion, he was an even worse writer than he was a husband. (laughs) But we don't have any time for literary criticism. The point is that he was fascinated by crime and committed criminal acts well before he became an addict. In the hospital in which I worked, I once... uh, Uh, walked into the intensive care unit to find two drug dealers who had shot each other at close quarters, uh, but with uh, true British incompetence had failed to kill one another. (laughs) Well, what do you suppose that such people would be doing if they were not shooting at one another? Would they have been doing remedial teaching, for example, or deciphering cuneiform script in the British Museum? It's absurd. And criminal criminal gangs are not going to file for bankruptcy if drugs are legalized. They're going to change their activities. So making the importation or production, distribution and sale of drugs would be dangerous and it would not have the claimed benefits because the illegality of drugs is the occasion and not the cause of crime. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you uh, to vote against the motion. Thank you, Theodore Dalrymple. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is legalize drugs. Now we move on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you in the audience. We have two teams of two arguing out this motion, legalize drugs. The team arguing for the motion, Paul Butler and Nick Gillespie, are arguing, you've heard them say that, that basically, partly it's a freedom thing, that grown-ups have uh, the right to put what they want in their own bodies, uh, as they do with the drug called alcohol, uh, a lesson in history that criminalizing a drug uh, is, is actually going to backfire. But beyond that, they say that the war on drugs, uh, the embodiment of drugs as illegal, um, costs in too many ways without a resulting drop in crime significantly, and that it disproportionately hits the African-American community in terms of people getting locked up behind bars simply for possession of drugs. The team arguing for the motion, Asa Hutchinson and Theodore Dalrymple, they're saying you cannot say that the war on drugs has failed, not when drug use among Americans has dropped uh, 30, I'm sorry, 50% in 30 years. They also point to the fact that drugs and crime and addiction go together. Uh, They point to prescription drugs, for example, which are legal, but their use is mired in crime and addiction. Those are some of the arguments we've heard presented, and we're going to work through some of them in more detail now. And I want to go first to the team arguing against the motion to legalize drugs. Your opponents have have made the claim that the war on drugs as constructed really is a war on young black kids, that uh, that the number of kids who are put in jail uh, for for drug possession, mere drug possession, is just disproportionately high and has had terrible consequences on the community. And I want to know, does your side concede or refute that basic claim? Asa Hutchinson. Well, I think it's it's an issue that has to continually be looked at. Uh, I think there was a disparity in penalties that uh, impacted our African-American community when it came to crack and powder cocaine. We made a huge step forward. Congress passed a remedy to that. I think there's been some uh, challenges with the mandatory minimums. That's made some, we've made some corrections in that as well. But 
you look at F, uh, methamphetamine, that's such a huge problem across all of the Midwest, that's predominantly a, 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 a Caucasian drug. It, uh, and, and that's where the law enforcement is enforcing its, its efforts right now. So I don't concede the point at all, but I think we, you, know, you look at the African-American communities, and we have a significant amount in Arkansas. We have high poverty rates. We have uh, 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 high unemployment rates right now. We have uh, uh, many social problems that are impacted by that community, and it is it, it's, uh, reflected also in uh, what happens uh, in the drug world. All right, let's go to the other side. Uh, Paul Butler, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, it's just not true. ASA makes it sound like blacks use drugs more than anybody else, and as anyone who's been to college or high school knows, it's simply not true. We really shouldn't be talking about legalizing drugs. We should be talking about re-legalizing them. For most of our history, drugs have been perfectly legal. You could go into a drugstore in the 1800s and buy opium. Uh, Coca-Cola started out with a cocaine derivative in it. So what made them become legal, Not illegal? Nothing to do with public safety. It was all about race. First drug criminalized, opium, San Francisco, 1890. The concern was that Chinamen were using it to seduce white women. Can trace it right down the line. Marijuana, uh, Mexican field hands. It was making them lazy. Uh, with blacks, it was that coconized Negroes were running rampant in the South. So our war on drugs is about race through and through. It always has been, and it is right now. But, Paul, are you saying that is the sole motive for it? In- uh, I don't think that that's the only motive, but I think that when we look historically at how the drug laws have been used, uh, what happens to white people who well, use well, drugs? Let me, let me, let me let the other side respond to this. methamphetamine that's predominantly a white drug, that enforcement efforts across mid-America is directed at that. But why don't prisons look like America then? That's not race-based. That, that is across the board of somebody who uh, is engaged in methamphetamine production. That's who the prosecution's about. But in- I have a question for you that I would like to ask, uh, Mr. Moderator, John, that, you know, we didn't really cover this, and that is how the uh, uh, legalization would work. If it's legalized tomorrow, I would assume that we would be able to go down well, and get our I, methamphetamine. I actually do want to come to that question because I think it's a terrific one, but I, I just I just want to have uh, these guys respond to okay. the point you were just making on the race issue well, let me, and the uh, methamphetamine factor. You know, I, I, I side with Paul in the sense that the origins of drug prohibition and many of the continuing policies are inextricably and I think incontrovertibly linked to race or other outgroup uh, stigma. Uh, LSD became associated with young people in the 60s. It was banned. It was legal uh, effectively until 1967. weren't young people considered pretty cool in the 60s? Uh, not by old people, you know. <laughs> uh, and the same thing happened with ecstasy. How many of you, uh, if, I mean, if you're over 50, you, you had the opportunity to use ecstasy legally until 1986. It was then demonized as a youth drug first, one that was made you antisocial, then one that made you pro-social, and you'd go out to a rave and have sex all night or, or uh, dehydrate. But more importantly, <laughs> you know, well, hydration is very important. It's, you know, it's the skin. Uh, most, uh, more importantly, we need to dial back the hysteria. So, for instance, I, I just want to focus on one uh, point Nick, that the, 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 was being, Wait, just no, methamphetamine, no. one-tenth of one percent of people in America report having used it in the past 30 days. Is the drug war edifice, all of the costs in money and in monetary and human terms, is it worth trying to stop that one-tenth of one percent 
of All Americans right, let's hear from, from Theodore Dalrymple arguing I, I against the I just want to make a small logical point. We are not actually discussing whether the laws are correctly applied, but whether there should be any laws. And uh, so actually it's not I mean, I know that it's very important for people in America uh, the way that they are applied, but the fact is that we're debating whether there should be any laws at all, not whether we should have the present laws. All right. Let's, let's take Asa's question to you, Nick Gillespie. Asa, Asa Hutchison, you were, you're, you were asking, what is, this, what is this new world look like where drugs are legalized? May I frame it, sure. though, in terms of... Uh, take heroin or methamphetamine, I would presume if it's legalized, the state would be granting licenses so that you can regulate the purity and the quality of the heroin and that the methamphetamine is quality stuff. So if you regulate it and you have to regulate it to tax it. So I am curious, one, is this not another government regime that's being created with a libertarian uh, argument that you're creating. So you're creating more government by your libertarian approach wanting to legalize drugs because they're going to have to regulate it and tax it. So how's that going to work? I uh, All right, respectfully Nicholas. submit that I have never taken a drug strong enough for that argument to be convincing. Uh, but in Colorado, uh, you know, the, the initiative that was passed for marijuana legalization was basically, I mean, it was out there, and it's a similar thing in Washington State, to treat marijuana like wine, beer, and alcohol. So it's not a question, and uh, Theodore, I think your opposition is, is, so it's is a false. licensed by the state. Yeah, well, uh, it could be. That remains to be seen, actually, because each uh, Washington state has about a year to figure out the technical implementation, and Colorado has about six months. But it's not a choice between anarchy and, uh, you know, a ratcheted-down regulatory system. Uh, But there will be laws, there will be customs, there will be traditions, there will be advertising, there will be information. Um, available. And I, this is the real question is about legalizing drugs. If, do you consider alcohol to be legal? Let's have a regime that is very similar to that for currently illegal uh, substances. Let me step in and, and, and ask Paul Butler something. Paul, you, you made, uh, the, uh, drew a distinction between uh, treating uh, addiction and punishing addiction, which suggests that perhaps unlike your partner, you're talking about addiction as a problem that needs to be addressed by the society. Are, are, do, you, do you split with each other on that? Do you think that it's just that, in other words, are you saying drugs, drug use is a problem? Well, I think addiction is a medical issue, and I think Nick and I agree that only a small percentage of people who use drugs become addicted to it. So most people are able to use marijuana and other drugs recreationally and go to work the next day. Uh, most people are also able to do that with uh, alcohol. Uh, for the percentage of people who have substance abuse problems with it, we know. The good doctor knows. That's a health issue. Uh, police, prosecutors, they make lousy doctors. Jailers make even worse doctors. So the way to treat that problem, the way to heal those people, is to use what we know about medicine and not, we know, not what we know about locking people up, because what we know about locking people up is it doesn't work. Dr. Downerpool. Well, I actually don't agree that addiction is a medical is fundamentally a medical problem. Uh, and you think it's a moral problem? I do. Yes. Wow. And it, well, a moral problem and a social problem and a psychological problem and a spiritual problem, and it's only to a very small extent. Uh, 
uh, a medical problem. I mean, there are medical consequences, of course, but this is not what is important. For example, everything I, th I think that everything you think about uh, heroin addiction is actually wrong. Uh, for example, you probably think that withdrawal effects from heroin are very severe. They're not. They're trivial. And the, uh, the overwhelming evidence is that by far the most suffering from uh, withdrawal effects is, um, is uh, psychologically induced. It's uh, anticipatory anxiety. It isn't the, uh, and there's good experimental evidence about this. You think that it's highly addictive. It isn't. Most heroin addic addicts go at it for about a year before they're ever actually addicted. You think that there's a connection, I've described the connection, the supposed connection between crime and addiction. The idea is that an addict goes out to obtain money in order for his addiction. There's no correlation in the amount of crime he commits and the amount of drugs he takes. And actually you find that they're all acquisitive criminals before they ever take heroin. Let me, uh, let me ask your partner, Asa Hutchinson, uh, a little bit of mo moving the, the discussion a little bit in a slightly more uh, perhaps uh, philosophical direction. Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, th but we, we've had a few references to alcohol and to prohibition and to the notion that uh, I think nobody's disputing that alcohol is a drug um, on the panel. And, and the, the nation did try, uh, amended the Constitution to outlaw alcohol consumption and decided it was a mistake. Um, so tonight everybody in the room can go afterwards and enjoy a glass of wine or a beer. What, what's the difference between alcohol and, and the, and the uh, prescribed drugs? Well, they're, they're all problematic drugs subject to abuse. Uh, in our democracy, we make decisions on which ones to uh, legalize and which ones not to. Those are decisions that are made. The debate question tonight, though, of course, is legalizing all drugs. Uh, and again, I go back to the question, which relates to to uh, ending prohibition uh, after in the 19 in late 1920s, you ended prohibition on alcohol. Uh, use went up, availability went up, regulation went up, taxation went up, and you compare that to reg uh, to legalizing methamphetamine. You're going to have a an opportunity for the state to regulate uh, methamphetamine producers. You're going to have it available because it's going to be legal. And, and it's going to be taxed, and so the price will be set by the marketplace, which is regulated and taxed. And so the question is, will you have, will you end crime? Will you end the cartels? Will you end the black market because you regulate methamphetamine? Of course not. There's going to be those that don't want to pay the taxes, just like they don't want to pay the taxes on cigarettes. And they're going to be a black market there, and you're going to have enforcement efforts. You're going to have criminals out there that are still bypassing the law. And so all of your hope of ending the DEA or ending law enforcement will not happen with legalization. You know, I think Nicholas. there's a major uh, uh, kind of conceptual error when we're talking about crime here. When we know that Mexican uh, drug cartels are killing people on both sides of the border, uh, when's the last time you heard about a Dos Equis shootout <laughs> where a beer distributor crossing hundreds, the border? I mean, hundreds it, it, of times. Most murders are committed no, under the influence of alcohol. The last time you heard about that sort of thing was during alcohol prohibition. I, and so it's not that are you, you know, black, if, are you going to have a black market for methamphetamine? Sure. Uh, you Absolutely. know what? We already do. What would happen is if we had a legal one, the other social harms would be reduced. I'm not a utopian. 
Uh, what I do believe is that not only would responsible individuals have a broader palette of things to make their life better, uh, but also many bad things would diminish. You know, when we're talking about addiction or substance abuse, you know, I don't drink anymore because I was a bad drinker. I tried my hardest to drink and drink and drink. I gave it up. If I had to admit that I was a criminal as well as having a substance abuse problem, I doubt that I would have gotten there quite as fast as I did, which was long enough. Can I just make a, a, a couple of small points? The murder rate in Mexico is now between a third and a quarter of what it was in the 1940s. That might surprise you, but it is a fact. Uh, When we look at the murder rate during Prohibition, it is, of course, perfectly true that it went up uh, during Prohibition. It went up by 35%, and it came down after Prohibition was ended. But in the same period before Prohibition, the murder rate went up by 85%. And in six years, between 1900 and 1906, the murder rate in this country went up by 325%. So I think that the relationship between violent crime and prohibition is probably not nearly as close as people imagine, and that there was a secular trend in which it went up anyway. And you could even make the case that it slowed the rise in the murder rate. I wouldn't make that case, uh, but it's not, straight, it's not as straightforward. The world did not begin in 1919. And the murder rate went up both absolutely and relatively more before pro- in the years before Prohibition than during uh, Prohibition. And incidentally, uh, Scarface got his scar uh, before Prohibition. <laughs> and he didn't get it from uh, plastic surgery. Paul Butler? So the reason that most people don't smoke isn't because smoking tobacco is a crime. It's because we know it's not good for us. That's the same reason why even in a regime of legalization, um, the vast majority of us are not going to use heroin or or meth. Uh, But it's public health uh, that will be responsible, the most responsible way for for treating people who, who abuse those substances. Paul, can I interrupt, though, and ask a question from something that Asa Hutchinson, your opponent, said earlier? Uh, in which he, he reported that during, since in the last 30 years, the use of uh, drugs by Americans has declined 30% and, and uh, sorry, 50%, and he sees that correlation uh, being directly related to, to causation, that the drug war uh, actually m- means that fewer Americans use drugs. Do, are you impressed by that statistic? I'm not, in part because we have to do our cost-benefit analysis. Uh, we have to ask, if that's true, is it worth it? The cost have been two and a half million people in prison. The cost have been one in three young black men with a criminal case, uh, more African-American young men in prison than in college. The cost have been billions of dollars that we can't afford, money away from our schools, away from our health care system, uh, going straight to prison. So especially if we understand that those are people who are locked up for using drugs. Uh, I don't have a problem. If you steal, if you rob, then yes, you should be punished. But when we're thinking about people who are locked up, 500,000 people, those are nonviolent drug offenders. And again, entirely selective. They're African-American and Latino, uh, two-thirds of them. There are some states where 80 to 90% 90 of the people in prison for drug crimes are black. 
And we know that's not the reality of who's using drugs. Asa that's elective law enforcement. Asa Hutchinson, would you like to respond? Well, I first to go along with my partner that the issue is not our enforcement policies currently, but it's whether we're going to legalize all drugs. That's the issue before us. How can you but separate to, those? Well, I think you can. That's not the debate topic is how you separate those. But in terms, if you look at OxyContin, it's a, a white abuse drug. If you look at LSD, it's a white abuse drug. If you look at cocaine, it's, uh, you know, crack cocaine uh, has uh, minorities. You've got powder cocaine that's white abuse. You've got heroin that's across the board. You've got uh, uh, GHB. You've got ecstasy that was mentioned. So I, I just don't see the, the racial component to it. Obviously, I think as, as head of the, former head of the DA, we looked at enforcement policy. You've got to be careful. You don't want to the south side of Chicago put all your enforcement resources on the crack distributor when you're ignoring the white guy coming from the suburb. That's wrong enforcement policies. You've got to balance those. But those are remedies within the current system. Legalizing it dramatizes the problem. You still have education issues, as you pointed out. We have to spend dollars on education, probably even more, because you've got more availability out there. Uh, you're going to have to spend money on the regulatory side. So all of those issues that are concerned about in society will only increase if you increase uh, the legalization. Can, can I ask? Nicholas, you know, one of the we'll just, I, I'm going to let oh. you speak one second. After Nick speaks, I'd like to start coming to you in the audience for questions. So just remember, raise your hand. Uh, I have a little bit of difficulty seeing people who are uh, towards the back and out of the bright lights. So uh, you might want to come forward. If you raise your hand, I'll, I'll call on you, and a mic will come to you, and you can ask a question. Nick Gillespie. I, I mean, I'd like to defer to the uh, experience and the expertise of the uh, op opposition to legalization, but I'm left wondering what world we're talking about here. So they're talking about uh, how bad OxyContin is. OxyContin is a prescription drug that is already legal, legal and regulated. I don't see how... That really has a lot to do with talking about a legalization debate. It's already legal. When, and, and here are the stats that are important. The government uh, runs something called the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, 30 day, in the, the past month use, they asked people, have you used this drug in the past 30 days, which is kind of a proxy for you know, a regular user or a casual user. About 7% of people over the ages of 12 uh, Twelve-year-olds, by the way, it's uh, you know almost a hundred percent. They say yes to everything, uh, but about seven percent of Americans say that they've used pot in the past month. By far, by a factor of three or more, that's the most widely used illegal drug or legal drug that's used illegally. The next one is uh, opioids, the prescription drugs that Theodore was talking about, uh, which comes in at 2.7%. When you're talking about things like meth and heroin, one-tenth of 1%, one hallucinogens covering a wide range of things, five-tenths of 1%, crack uh, or cocaine including crack, six-tenths of 1%. These are non-factors, and as Paul was suggesting, if they're made legal, who, who out here is going to be like, finally, heroin is legal? <laughs> you know? I, you know, let's go. Let's try it. No. Okay, that's not going to happen. It's about pot. And we all know that pot is not a dangerous drug, that pot is not a gateway drug any more than mother's milk is, you know, is the ultimate gateway drug because everybody who uses heroin started out with mother's milk. You know, well, I, I, it's about I, pot, I, and hear, we need to focus I, on I this. Actually wanna, this I, is not an issue. I, I want to hear the. I want to hear your opponents respond to well, uh, my, to the notion of whether actually 
drug use overall would soar if it were legalized? Well, no one can say with any uh, absolute certainty. Well, I, I know that, but, but your, your uh, expectation. But all one, can, all one can say, I don't know what to say to someone who tells me that the deaths of 15,000 people a year is not a, really a problem. Measured with, with against a, the incarceration with of 500,000 people, you know, that's well, a balance. Well, hang Nick, on. Let, him, let him make his point. And, hang and on. And two, and two million people uh, being um, uh, addicted to it. So it is actually an important point that if you make something readily available, the use of it can uh, increase catastrophically. Now, I, I can't, of course, say that I know for a fact that methamphetamine were just available like everything else, or crack were available, you just went down and got it. Of course not everybody would take it, but I have an experience. And this was an experience working in Africa uh, with some expatriates, and for various reasons I won't go into, alcohol uh, became virtually free of charge. And the result was absolutely catastrophic. The the increase in, uh, in the consumption was enormous. And, uh, of course, not every, in fact, the majority of people uh, didn't take it uh, to extremes. But 20% of people did. So your partner wants to join in on this point, I think. I agree. I, mean, I think logic tells you usage goes up. Uh, but recent information, Alaska, uh, through a court case, decriminalized marijuana in the 70s. Usage went up, parents were concerned, and they voted to recriminalize it in the 90s. That's a historic experience among our states. And uh, so usage did go up, and and parents recognized that and reversed the trend uh, in Alaska. Uh, This debate is not about marijuana. It is drugs, plural. And to be consistent in your philosophy of libertarianism, which my colleagues are consistent, uh, they recognize it doesn't do any good to legalize one. You have to legalize all, and if you le- because that's the only way you're going to change the environment of enforcement, to change the environment of, of police, uh, and so on. And so the debate tonight is about legalizing all drugs. All right, let's go to some questions from the audience. And I, I want to remind you that we are now in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two against two, who are arguing it out over this motion, legalize drugs. And ma'am, right in the center there. Uh, if you look to your right, there's a microphone coming down. If you could just stand up and tell us your name. Thanks. Hi, Patsy Kahn. Um, Paul Butler mentioned smoking, and I have a question. Uh, the laws in New York have gotten so much more stringent against smoking. You can't smoke in the parks. You certainly cannot smoke in a restaurant or a bar. And taxes on cigarettes have gone up significantly. So your argument would be that none of that affects people lowering the smoking rate, that in fact it's only health issues. And I would wonder what the statistics are on that. All right, I'm not going to hold them to knowing the statistics because they might not know, and it would just be embarrassing. (laughs) But let's take on your larger principle. So I am concerned about this nanny state that the government is creating where uh, we can't have – it started with with certain drugs, and it seems to be going down the road to to trans fats, right, Uh, to smoking in parks, smoking tobacco in parks, um, and even big gulp cans of – Soda. So if we buy this idea that people aren't responsible 
enough to make intelligent decisions for themselves, which um, my opponents don't seem to think people are. Um, well, we ought to be concerned about these draconian laws, and we ought to especially be concerned about who they're going to be applied against. I guarantee you that white people, very few white people in New York are going to be arrested for smoking in parks. It's going to be African Americans and Latinos. That's the reality. We can't divorce the reality from this rhetoric. Response on the other side? Well, I think the, uh, the, uh, uh, the fact is that people stopped smoking in bars because there was law against it, and they did it on a certain day. They didn't suddenly realize that uh, uh, their health would be impaired by it. And interestingly, uh, this happened throughout the world. My wife, who's French, said the French will never obey this law, but they obeyed it like lambs. And so, and the reason, of course, is that smoking doesn't have the antinomian uh, cultural meaning that uh, taking drugs has. And that's why uh, smokers will obey the law and others won't. Sir. Yes, I'd, I'd like to understand a bit. Would you mind um, standing up? Sorry, thanks. And tell us your name. Uh, my name is Bob Wyman. Um, I'd like to understand a bit more, uh, Mr. Hutchinson, the comments you made about that um, we can't legalize one without essentially legalizing them all, that it's, it's not useful. But historically, we have legalized one very major drug, and that is alcohol. And then we have um, a, a, a sort of a, a, a regulation as well of cigarettes, and then there are the various uh, legal drugs that doctors can give you. Um, we've already gone down that path, and we've seen that, for instance, the legalization of alcohol didn't cause a tremendous explosion in heroin use. Um, why wouldn't um, legalizing just one more, say going with heroin, that's not heroin, but going with marijuana, <laughs> got to pick the right one. Why wouldn't going uh, one step further and thus removing the tremendous amount of, of people who are in jail for that and all the money that's going to the criminals itself today, why okay. wouldn't that be Asa Hutchinson. Thank you. Very good question, and I did not explain it well, so I'm glad you asked that. And you're right. Uh, we're a democracy, so you could – society could choose to legalize heroin, if you wish, uh, or marijuana, and pick one of them. But my argument would be – generally people say, well, one of the reasons we need to legalize because you've got to put the cartels out of business, and you've got to put the criminal elements out of business. Well, uh, they're smart business folks, and they ha have diversified. So if you legalize marijuana, they're going to trade in cocaine, methamphetamine, and they will market those. Uh, and so if, unless you legalize everything, the cartels are just happy as a lark. And even if you legalize everything, you're probably still going to have, you know, the black market they will deal in, even though it will be a little more tougher. But the second point is simply that the debate topic is not just about marijuana. It is broad-based uh, legalization because – uh, well, that's the debate topic, and that's what we're trying to stick to. Hey, so if somebody wants to use any of the drugs that are currently illegal, um, aside from the fact that they're breaking the law, just in terms of the little bubble of their own life, is that anybody's business but their own? Is, in other words, who's, who, where, where is the, the social dimension to uh, this, that use? Well, the social dimension is, uh, and I hate to keep speaking of methamphetamine, but that's a real problem where, I, where I'm from. And uh, uh, methamphetamine, uh, you are manufacturing it. You've got children around. Uh, they're they're uh, taking the methamphetamine, and they're abandoning their kids for weeks on end. And so it's a child welfare issue that, that is extraordinarily harmful. 
uh, endangerment of those. Uh, it is uh, environmentally unsafe. Now, you can say, well, if we get our nanny state involved where they regulate uh, the, uh, and, and license the methamphetamine producers, maybe you'll eliminate some of that. But you're still going to have the abuse, the lack of productivity in the workplace uh, through, through uh, drug use and people not showing up because of, of uh, they, they having a good Monday morning, as uh, uh, my colleague was pointing out. So and those are some world, societal so in, problems. In your world, for somebody to get help, they have to admit that they're a criminal. No, you can go get treatment anytime you want to. And you don't have admit, to admit that you've broken the law. Well, of course, you know that if somebody has a, uh, a problem with an addiction and they go into a clinic, they're not going to get arrested for it. They're going to get help and they get treatment. And that's the goal in the workplace, too. If you do testing and uh, you find a worker who has got an abuse problem, they're not sending the police. They're sending them treatment. And that's the objectives of the employers, and that's working well in the workplace. And all of that effort would be abandoned if you went through legalization. All of a sudden, you, why would you drug test anybody? Well, you, uh, that's a good question. Why do we now? Because most people who get drug okay. tested, you get drug tested when you're applying for a job, and that's it. It's, no, it's a joke. It's, it's a hurdle to weed out people who, you know, on other the, grounds. They have the random people drug public, testing. They test pilots, and I'm glad yeah, for the of testing course, of our pilots that fly our airplanes. What, what, airline, what airline or trucking company or whatever is not going to regularly test people because it puts them at enormous insurance risk? These things are handled. And to talk about another market mechanism, we don't need, and this is the libertarian in me speaking, we don't need the government to test and uh, testify to the purity of methamphetamine. We'll have fair trade methamphetamine. Well, you know, private <laughs> certification agencies, just like with coffee or biodynamic wine or organic foods, will spontaneously spring into being. Uh, and I, just to follow up on one point, the reason why I'm stressing marijuana goes back to some things that Paul is saying, and I don't think that the other side is fully acknowledging, which is that we live in a world where school kids tell everybody who asks them, you know, you can get drugs easier than you can get beer, any kind of drug you want. The use ratios are pot, uh, very much, much less uh, prescription drugs, and then these tiny vanishing statistical errors of things like heroin. Even if you double or triple the heroin use, it goes from point one t or one-tenth of one percent of Americans to three-tenths of 1%. I don't think that's a reason to hold you, everyone else hostage who can act responsibly. I was going to go to another question, but do you want to dispute the numbers? Well, well I mean, in terms of the numbers, if you're looking at marijuana use in the schools uh, and the availability of it, uh, I just come back to the fundamental question. If you legalize it, two things happen. One, the kids say, if it's legal for my folks, how could it be harmful? The government says it's legal now. That's a signal that it's okay. And usage goes up because of that. Secondly, the availability tobacco. goes up. Nobody thinks tobacco is okay because it's legal. Hate speech is well, legal. I, Kids okay. don't say, ah, oh, now I can en engage in hate speech. I think, you know, I, again, I, I you know, to, wait, wait, to, wait. Uh, were, Asa, was, were you in mid-flow? And then I'll come back to that. Cause it, 
No, I'm happy to take another question. Right, so I'll let you finish, Nick. No, I'm just saying that, you know, fundamentally, look, we don't live in a democracy, by the way. We live in a uh, limited uh, Republican form of government which respects the rights of the minority. But I don't think anybody in America mistakes the idea that something is allowed with something being good. And if they are, then we really need to change the public education system because the kids are getting the wrong message. Yeah, but but the, the point that, that Asa made, that if a, if a kid, if kids see that their parents are, are smoking dope. Or, that's, or drinking. Uh, yeah, here. All right, fine, but make it drinking. You yeah. don't think that there's a lesson? No, actually, what I, would, uh, what I would suggest is that when you see your parents and other adults using a drug responsibly, and we need to keep coming back to this point, drug use does not equal drug abuse. Those are two very separate things, and we can deal with them. But when you see your parents having a glass of wine with dinner and acting responsibly around an intoxicant, you learn a very strong lesson there that is going to be much more beneficial to you than if you grow up in a teetotaler house and then you have the unfortunate experience of going to Yale and Harvard. So it's like Paul here. You know? Well, Asa Hutchison. I don't think kids are going to be seeing uh, uh, parents uh, using heroin or methamphetamine or cocaine responsibly. Uh, I don't know uh, if you see in the if the kids see the parents use marijuana in the home responsibly. Does that increase usage, decrease usage? All I can say as a parent, I'd hate to take that experiment. Um, drug use does not equal drug abuse. Statement of principle from the other side, from your opponents. So the side arguing against that, what do you make of that? Well, it's, that, that is all perfectly true. But the fact is that. Uh, uh, it's also true that most drunk drivers get home perfectly safely. 99% of drunk drivers, I know, I'm afraid to say, because I've done it myself. Uh, <laughs> Have you ever drunk debated, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're making an assumption that I'm not now, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, of course, it's perfectly true. And, uh, but the argument uh, about cigarettes, for example, one hears it all the time. Most people who smoke cigarettes don't actually suffer from, uh, from lung cancer. I mean, I've heard it, I don't know how many times I've heard it. And it's perfectly true that most people who smoke cigarettes don't die of lung cancer. But the fact is that most people who get lung cancer, and it's very nasty, uh, uh, smoke. And the fact is, again, that I don't think there's any real benefit to be taken from these drugs and, um, and to equate the, 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 the freedom to take drugs with the freedom of expression seems to me to trivialize what the freedom of expression actually is. Ma'am, um, uh, right up against the, the wall, where the wall turns green. If you can state your name, Hi, please. Hi, uh, Diana Jimenez. I come from Mexico, and in the past six years, we've had 60,000 people dead in drug-related violence. The murder rate has got down, but in drug-related violence, we've had, you know, it's just been atrocious. My question is, legalizing drugs would do better for cartel violence or worse? And your question is to either side? Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. I want to see All right, let's take opinion. the side, and, and uh, I want to I go to Paul Butler, since that used to be your job uh, to a degree. Sure. Um, and, sure. And, and if we listen to the leaders of the Latin American countries, uh, they're calling for more responsible drug policies, including for us to consider legalization, because they know that the violence is sparked by the illegal market, which is sparked by the enormous demand for drugs 
from the United States. So if we get rid of that illegal market, including by having uh, drugs regulated like we regulate tobacco and alcohol now, uh, we'll get rid of the violence. Again, that's exactly what happened during Prohibition. Al Capone wasn't nothing but a, sh- a drive-by shooter. And again, when we got rid of that illegal market, um, we got rid of the violence. Well, to that point, the answer is absolutely no. Did the mafia end in New York City at the conclusion of Prohibition? Rudy Giuliani, the former U.S. attorney, former mayor of New York, made his made himself famous by prosecuting the mob and the mafia. They existed long after the ending of Prohibition. And so to the lady's question about Mexico, do you think the legalization of drugs will put the cartel out of business? It might make them adjust, but there's alien smuggling, which they're engaged in now. There's other activities. Uh, But you look at the cost to the United States, uh, I, I think that would just be enormous. I met with President Vicente Fox whenever he was president. He was concerned uh, not only about the cartels. He was concerned about the demand, growing demand problem and usage in Mexico of his people. And that was a concern there. And so it's not just about the cartel. It's about drug usage. I don't know of any Latin American uh, country that wants to legalize all the drugs, heroin, cocaine, down the road. Uh, can I, uh, Nicholas, be in the Yeah, I, Nicholas, I mean, I, I just wanted to uh, say uh, very quickly: the mob moved into other illegal pursuits, prostitution, non-casino gambling, things like that. And to the extent that the cartels uh, in Mexico might move into human trafficking, the fix there is to legalize immigration, not to try and wipe out cartels. I, uh, this is what I'm saying. And the, you know, the epic or, or the the generational shift here might be the Kennedy clan. And I say this as a half Italian, half Irish, so I've got, you know, a foot in each camp here. But the Kennedys went from having uh, connections in the liquor business within a generation or two to, to, uh, you know, moving into politics. Harvard and Yale again. Not a good good progression. But the fact is, is when you legalize broad swaths of economic activity where there is a a supply and a demand, Peace reigns and prosperity follows. Peter Dalrymple. Well, I, I think the idea that Mexico or, for example, Colombia would be a peaceful society if, uh, if it were not for uh, drugs is absolutely ludicrous. If one just takes the example of Colombia, um, uh, there were two episodes in the, in the 20th century in which the equivalent pro rata for the population of more than a million people were killed. That's twice. And the current civil war in, uh, in uh, Colombia um, uh, started in 1964. I remember in 1979, really before the, the uh, drug business, I remember looking, uh, looking in the South American Handbook, which was the kind of book that everyone uh, used in, 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 uh, who traveled in South America, and it said of Bogota, and I'm quoting from memory, so it might not be quite right, it said, try to look poor. Do not carry anything. Do not wear any jewelry. Uh, And if you can see uh, without them, do not wear glasses. Now, let's say you wouldn't have that in a guidebook to Switzerland. I mean, more likely you'd have do not flush the lavatory after 10 o'clock because you'll be arrested for uh, disturbing the peace. (laughs) And that's not a joke, incidentally. (laughs) So the idea that these are... 
Uh, I mean, I, I've seen another thing that seems... Well, I, let, I, I think that yeah. you've, you've made that point. Let me go to the gentleman in the corner, and uh, Mike will come to you. You know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you're in a purple light. And uh, if you took a step, uh, three seats down, you'll be in a, in a non-purple light. <laughs> you just want to look good on television. Come out a little bit farther, if you don't mind. Could you uh, step into the light, sir? Take your, uh, your shirt off. There you too. go. It's there you go. Gladly. I've been waiting for you to say that. So my sister is married to a Dutch oh, what's your guy. name? What's your name? You probably uh, don't Justin want to say Rorlick. now. Sorry? Justin Rorlick. Okay. My sister married a uh, Dutch guy, and they were, their wedding was in Amsterdam about seven or eight years ago. And none of the Dutch people at the wedding could care less about pot. All the Americans there, including myself... The first thing we did was go to the coffee shops and smoke a bunch of pot. None of the uh, people that lived there were interested at all because it seemed like it, it just they took the excitement out of it. So, it, so it's turn been this into a question. Turn this into a question. So it's been available to them uh, their whole lives, and, and it seems to have taken some of the some of the uh, you know, thrill away from it. Do you think that that would? Would hold true here. Uh, you know, would pot we, stop being cool? Yeah, if, you know, uh, you take some of the coolness. You know, if, if your parents right. are smoking pot, um, does that? Let take, me. I'm going to take the question first to Asa Hutchinson. Um, w- w- would it take the thrill away and the attraction away? Uh, well, b- perhaps to, to legalize it. Yeah. I mean, uh, sure, uh, uh, it becomes very common. But let's look more carefully. And I've been to the Netherlands, and I've been to the coffee houses, and. Uh, uh, but you know, it, you, <laughs> the uh, where they where you, you drank coffee. You got to investigate. <laughs> you got to investigate carefully. Uh, <laughs> but the Dutch governments had second thoughts after years of expanding uh, the cannabis cafes. I think they realized they became a uh, tourist mecca for that purpose and what you just described. And so the number of Dutch marijuana coffee houses dropped from almost 1,200 in 1997 to 782. And so they decle- de- decreased. Maybe uh, I don't think the uh, I think the Dutch government, and in fact many of them, 73 percent of the Dutch towns do not allow cannabis cafes. And so I think it was a mistake, the path that they went down, they recognize it, and they've retreated from that, both in terms of their reputation and the commercial enterprise, but also I just think it's a, a direction that the Dutch towns did not want to go down. Uh, so I hope we can learn some from that. Uh, you talk about availability because it was available. I was actually going through a Dutch town with a chief of police, and I had people pulling on my sleeves. I'm with the chief of police. I'm head of the DEA, and they're pulling on my sleeves saying, do you want some ecstasy? And uh, I'm saying, hey, don't you know who I am, who I'm with? And it doesn't make any difference because it was available. And All right, let's let Paul Butler come in. And so there are fewer coffee houses because there's less of a demand. It turned out in Amsterdam when they made smoking pot legal, Fewer kids wanted to do it. It, it wasn't as cool. So respectfully, uh, Dr. Theodore and Asa, if you really want kids to stop smoking pot, uh, you should go on TV yourselves and fire up a big juicy blunt. <laughs> we have, uh, we're, we're being live streamed, and uh, we have a question that's come to us from Washington State uh, via Facebook. Tom Glassman. Uh, writes, uh, I'm someone who lives in Washington State, 
He asks, is the legalization of a drug, for example, marijuana, something that should be left to the states to decide? Um, who would like to take that question on? Nicolespi. Uh, yeah, you know, it, this is a uh, fascinating political question that the Obama administration in particular is going to have to deal with because uh, traditionally the Democrats, or at least uh, over the past 30 or 40 years, and Barack Obama, and actually presidents in general, assert the primacy of federal law over every matter, no matter what, whether it's funding or regulations or whatnot. I would actually, I guess it's a second-best answer to say that drug legalization should be left to localities or to states as opposed to a one-size-fits-all federal solution. By the same token, I don't, you know, I, I do actually think that uh, pharmacological freedom, which includes uh, what a friend of mine calls culinary freedom. I mean, the the right to ingest what you want is pretty fundamental and should probably be respected across the board rather than parceled out. But as a second best option, let's uh, let the states and localities be laboratories of uh, uh, of uh, democracy and Asa see what Hutchison. what happens to the experiments. Asa Hutchison. And uh, well, maybe addressing it, even the Washington when, State situation. Whenever uh, Arizona experimented and thought they ought to be engaged in, in enforcement of our immigration laws, President Obama's administration filed suit against Arizona asserting the supremacy clause. And so if you believe in there should be a national standard for such an issue as immigration, I think they're going to have a difficult time not making the same argument in reference to the state's choices on uh, marijuana or other drugs. So it's difficult in our society for states to make choices uh, on that particular issue whenever you have an overriding federal law. I think there's going to be a lawsuit, and I think it will be resolved in the courts. I think we have time for one more question. Um, ma'am. Yeah, you just spoke. Yeah. Hi, my name is Tatiana Mardashev. I'm in the healthcare profession. And I mostly deal with pain management. And I have a lot of clients who are getting treatment for cancer. And they actually tell me that their doctors say to them, listen, the best thing for you is actually just go buy some pot. Because it's actually much more effective in managing the pain. It's cheaper than the drugs. It's less destructive on their physical bodies and the the medically prescribed drugs. And, and, what, and, and what, is your, what do you think so of that? So my question but, is... But actually, what do you think of that answer? Well, when you see people in that kind of pain, you really don't want them to be in that kind of pain. And if the drugs that are okay. legally available aren't really helping them to eat, to manage their pain, etc., why not give them something that is readily available to them if they just walk down the street okay. and pay someone? Okay, um... Take the, the side arguing against legalization, well, Asa Hutchison. I, I mean, any time a doctor or the American Medical Society says a patient needs something for pain management, I'll be the first one to sign up for it. Uh, I mean, in terms of supporting that position, doctors in the medical profession should determine what's appropriate pain management and care. At this point, uh, the AMA has not uh, approved that. Maybe they will someday, but they have not done that uh, at this point. Uh, and so that's the answer. I don't think that relates uh, to the overall debate question, but it's certainly uh, an appropriate question to ask. Other side? Response? I, I had a, a member of my family go through the same experience. He was dying of lung cancer, and his doctor told him that marijuana would be the best thing. Uh, he didn't live in a state where 
medical marijuana was available. And, and so our family faced the difficult choice of, of becoming lawbreakers, risking arrest and prosecution, or, or, or watching my relative live and die in pain. Paul, uh, Asa Hutchinson, um, just take 20 seconds to do one thing. You, you just said that you don't feel that that question relates to the motion, and, and you've said that a few times on a few questions. Why, why not? Why, why not, for example, the question of medical marijuana, ma- marijuana used for medical uses, which would require, which would involve legalization of that particular drug? Why does that not relate to the motion? Well, I mean, medical wer- marijuana is a separate and distinct issue. Uh, some states put medical marijuana on the ballot, which takes a doctor's prescription or authorization. And so that's not a legalization issue. It is a physician issue in pain management and doctor's care and, uh, and, and giving doctors the ability to prescribe marijuana if they believe that's beneficial. So it's really a, a separate medical okay. issue but versus the legalization across the board you can decide they need it for pain management. That didn't mean that everybody should right. have okay. marijuana. And, and the, motion does ask, imp- the, the motion does imply all drugs. We're not, all but, right, I just but can I just ask Nicholas, quickly, though, because these, these are linked, uh, I think, in s- some significant ways. But when you were the head of the DEA, did you support the federal government uh, going in and raiding medical marijuana dispensaries in places like California, where it was legal under state law to uh, prescribe or to give a doctor's note for and, and if so, why? I, I don't actually think that that is on oh. point for okay. the debate. So sure. I'm going to pull that one. You can answer, come up and approach them afterwards. I don't think it's on the question of whether we should legalize drugs or not. And I can take one very, 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 very short question and short answer. Sir, uh, Mike is coming to you down from the left-hand side. Thanks. Uh, Could you stand up? Thanks. My name is Akash, uh, Akash Khanna. Uh, now, that... That statistic you provided in the uh, brochure, that 50% decrease in drug use, my question is how can you say that um, that's a causal relationship based on the... Okay, we get the question. Asa Hutchinson. Good point. Question. I I mean, I I think you can argue a lot of different ways. You can say that uh, that's the result of education. It's the result of uh, enforcement efforts. I personally believe that it's the result of all of our community efforts combined. Uh, But the point is you're not going to ever eliminate 100% usage of illegal drugs and addictive drugs. And the reason is we have young people, we have addictive personalities. The, The question is what is the best way to keep the the uh, usage and the abuse at the lowest point for our society, and I think the present uh, uh, mechanisms, while we can tweak it, we can adjust it, we can change our enforcement policies, has worked pretty good uh, in terms of keeping it down at a 9% level uh, of use in the last 30 days for all of Americans. uh, That's making some progress. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each, and this is their last chance to try to change your minds. Remember, you voted before the debate, and you will be asked to vote again right after these closing statements and to pick the winner. The team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. But first, on to round three. Closing statements by each debater in turn. They are two minutes each. 
Our motion is legalize drugs, and here to summarize his position against the motion, Asa Hutchinson, former administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Thank you for incredible attention uh, to this important topic. Today, as I prepared for this debate, I received a call from a uh, family friend in Arkansas who is a grown mother, actually has uh, two 30-year-old girls. And she said, both of them are on methamphetamine, and she simply asked, what do I do about it? And so I started asking questions, and one of them actually knew she had a problem and wants to get off. The other one just is going down this path. She's got a supplier. She's got a dealer. And, of course, uh, I started thinking through, how does legalization impact this very real tragedy that is destroying this home and this family and one of the 30-year-old daughters have children? And, and being neglected. And I could not think of a system of legalization that would make this better. Because this person that has a, a problem will never get the treatment necessary to get over that addiction unless they're confronted with it, and probably from a legal standpoint. It is that officer that will say, ma'am, you've got methamphetamine in your car, you need to get help, we're going to arrest you, or you're going to go to drug court, something's going to happen, and that will change their life. Now, if it's not illegal, all that officer can do is say, ma'am, uh, we're going to take your children away from you, but you've got a right to keep your methamphetamine, you've got a right to go get some more, you've got a right to continue your abuse pattern. And this can be multiplied over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is about legalizing drugs. If you send a signal to our youth of our nation, the next generation, as President Barack Obama wants to do, that it is illegal, then usage will stay at a modest level, hopefully a declining level. If you legalize it, usage will go up. If you believe it is harmful, then you should vote no on the proposition. Thank you very much. Thank you, Asa Hutchinson. Our motion is legalize drugs, and here to make his closing statement in support of the motion, Paul Butler, Georgetown Law Professor and former federal prosecutor. Uh, thanks first to my great partner and my very worthy opponents. It, it sounds, though, like I was wrong about how Asa would respond to someone who he cares about who has a drug problem, because it does sound like he thinks the best thing to do is to call the police, because he said that's the only way that they'll get help. Uh, I just fundamentally disagree with that. Um, I don't think that in order to get treated for a drug problem, you have to admit, you should have to admit that you're a criminal. Uh, I agree with President Obama when he said during the first campaign that it's, it's blind and counterproductive to lock up nonviolent drug offenders. If it worked, if it got drugs off the street, then maybe I'd support it. But we know that it just doesn't work. Clarence Thomas, before he became the first African-American on the Supreme Court, was a judge in D.C., and he said when he would look out of the window of his chambers and see all these young black men filing in the criminal court in chains, he would think, there but for the grace of God, go I. My friends, the determination of who goes to criminal court in chains should not be so fortuitous. It should not depend so much on the color of your skin or how much money your parents make. As long as it does, we need to legalize drugs. Thank you, Paul Butler. 
And that is our motion, legalize drugs. And here to make his closing statement against the motion, Theodore Dalrymple. He is a former prison doctor and the Dietrich Weissman Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first let me just remind you that Amsterdam is by far the most violent city in Western Europe, uh, with a murder rate between two, two and a half and three times higher than that of Paris, for example. And the mayor of Amsterdam recently said that uh, he wanted to reinstate the coffee houses because he had this idea that the one and a half million people who go there uh, to to take uh, cannabis every year, they would go rampaging through the streets if they couldn't get it. I don't think anyone would have said that about smokers, for example, who couldn't smoke in bars. So this suggests that there's a big difference here, a cultural difference. To give you an idea of the, uh, the, the utopianism that is behind this motion, let me tell you that the head of the drug uh, agency of the United Nations once said that the drugs trade was corrupting West Africa. Now, if you can believe that, you can believe anything. Because when I arrived in Lagos Airport, the first time I arrived in Lagos Airport, the uh, customs officer said, have you brought any presents? I said, uh, I don't know anybody in uh, Nigeria. He said, for me. (laughs) And I soon got the general view. Crime is not caused by the illegality of uh, drugs, nor is their illegality the cause of the problems to which they give rise. If you vote for this motion, you're saying that the British were the heroes of the opium wars because they opened to the Chinese the freedom to take opium and which they then did uh, uh, on a famous or notoriously large scale, and they stopped, uh, actually, when Mao Zedong threatened to shoot them. If you believe that the British were liberating the Chinese, then you will vote for this motion. But remember that genies do not go back into the bottles when they are commanded to do so. So please vote against the motion, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Theodore Downer. Our motion is legalize drugs. And here to make his closing statement in support of the motion, Nick Gillespie, editor-in-chief of Reason.com and Reason TV. Uh, Let me suggest, contra the opposition, when you consider about legalizing drugs, that in fact it does increase your freedom to be allowed to take Lexapro, to take Lipitor, or to take LSD. Uh, It will not destroy you. It will not turn you into a... uh, a fried brain, uh, lesser son of Timothy Leary. It just might make your life a little more interesting or it's an experience worth having. The status quo in the drug war is untenable and destructive for all of the reasons that my partner outlined. It is always going to be prosecuted. The drug war is always going to be prosecuted against, uh, you know, blacks in America, to uh, bring it back to dear old Blighty, Blacks in America in the drug war are what Australians were to the English in World War I. They are human fodder, and they will be ground up and used. Uh, their bones will be the basis for the next bunker. There is no way around it. The drug war has always been prosecuted along racial lines, along class lines, and other discriminatory practices. That's not going to change. It's not going to get better in the second hundred years of drug prohibition. Uh, more to the point... I want you to think about, as you think about legalizing drugs, recognize is use the same as abuse, because that's the underlying uh, kind of uh, premise of the anti-legalization moment. So, uh, movement. To say, uh, you know, drug, uh, marijuana use might go up, so what? 
if it's not bad, if it's no different than taking a beer, if it's not qualitatively different than having a beer or a martini, maybe that's not such a bad thing, especially because people who are high on pot are less antisocial and less destructive and less criminal in general than people who are hopped up on a, uh, you know, a, cosmoti- uh, a cosmotini or something like that. In the end, the legalization movement is a movement for personal responsibility where we criminalize bad behavior but not uh, arbitrary substances. So please, legalize drugs. Thank legalize you, more drugs. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it is time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. We're going to ask you again to go to the keypads at your seat. And I'm going to restate the motion and see where you stand now after hearing the arguments. Our motion is legalize drugs. Push number one, if you agree with the motion. Two, if you disagree. And three, if you became or remain undecided. Anybody need more time? Just call out? No? All right. So we'll have the results in about um, 45 seconds or a minute. Um, first of all, I just want to, uh, I just want to uh, thank the level of debate we heard here tonight. Uh, I, I really appreciated that these two teams uh, respected one another, appreciated one another. It was, uh, it was forceful but friendly. So congratulations to them for the way they did this. And to all of the people who had uh, the guts to get up and ask questions, and uh, even the ones that, that it didn't get through and people I didn't call on, thank you very much for participating, and round of applause to them. So this is our fall season. We have one more event in our fall season, uh, and that will be coming up uh, on, oh, I don't have the date, December, December 5th, Okay. Thank you. It's December 5th. Everybody in the room knew that but me. But I do, I do know what our... Uh, oh, that's why I understand what the problem is. Well, I'm going to have to do this mostly from memory. Um, the upcoming debate is called... The, the motion is Science Refutes Religion. God. Boy, you people... <laughs> Can I sit there? <laughs> and, you, and all of you come up here. Thank you. Science refutes God. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the team arguing for the motion includes Lawrence Krauss. I'm back on script. Lawrence Krauss. He is professor of physics at the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State. His partner is Michael Shermer, who is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine. And arguing against the motion that science refutes God, Ian Hutchinson, who is professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. His partner is Dinesh D'Souza, the best-selling author of What's So Great About Christianity. Uh, tickets for this debate are available through our website. That is www.iq2us.org. Uh, our next season begins in January. Five more debates coming up. Uh, we start on uh, Wednesday, January 16th. That will be here at Kaufman. Topics and debaters are being worked on still, but they will be posted on our website next month. 
If you um, can't be in the audience for any of those upcoming debates, there are a lot of other ways to catch them. I talked about some of them at the beginning, but you can watch the live stream on Fora.tv. Uh, you can listen to the debates on NPR, WNYC here in New York. You can download them as a podcast or watch them on WNET and the World Digital Channel. Uh, again, if you'd like to tweet about the debate, we would love that. We read them all. Uh, the Twitter handle is at IQ2US, and the hashtag for this debate was drug debate. All right, so here come the final results. All right, so remember, we've asked you to vote twice, once before the debate and once again after the debate, where you stand on this motion, before you hear the arguments and afterwards. And the team that has changed its number the team that has changed its uh, results by the largest percentage will be declared our winner. So here was the motion. Legalize drugs. Before the debate, 45% agreed with the motion, 23% were against, and 32% were undecided. After the debate, let's go first to the team arguing for the motion. Their second vote was 58%, 45 to up to 58%. That is a move of 13%. That's what needs to be beaten. Uh, the team against the motion, their first vote was 23%. The second vote was 30%. They've only gone up 7%. It is not enough. The team debate goes to the other side, our winners. The team's arguing in favor of the motion, legalized drugs. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S., where we like to say, think twice.